that a beautiful song? I always love to, to hear it, to, to sing it. Pastor Colleen is here for all the children who would like to go back and get your Bible boxes. The rest of us, let's take our Bibles and turn to Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah chapter 61. Somebody in my membership class yesterday said that when they first came and I told them to look it up in the Bible, then they realized it was on the screen, they stopped looking it up. And I said, I want everybody to know how to look up things in the Bible. So uh, I hope that you'll take the time to look it up. Isaiah is one of the major prophets, the great messianic prophet who describes so much about who the Messiah is. And we're going to look at chapter 61. I put it on the screen for those of you who find it uh, easier to read there. But Isaiah 61, we'll read that in just a moment. On this third Sunday of Advent, uh, the lectionary takes us into the preparatory words of the great prophet Isaiah, which was written about 700 and some years before uh, Jesus Christ was born. Uh, One of the great prophets of old. And one of the things that I was thinking of as I read it is that there's a lot of opinions about what we as Christians should be doing and should not be doing for that matter. And we oftentimes have discussions from the more mundane things of how should we dress and how should we wear our hair and all of that kind of things to, in fact, the issues of ethics and of justice and of mercy And I found that oftentimes in this culture, in this uh, first part of the next millennium, we have in fact started talking about justice and mercy and ethics in kind of divided ways, as though uh, this this partisan politics, which is so plaguing our, our desire to govern ourselves, which has caused us to label different viewpoints in different partisan ways, and then not be able to come together and to to solve the problems that we face. It's as though whenever people even read the words of Jesus, uh, they think that somehow Jesus is speaking here as a Democrat or speaking as a Republican. And uh, they claim Jesus just like some have claimed the flag and patriotism as being from one party or another. And that has caused all kinds of difficulty in the... uh, nation politic as we attempt to make uh, decisions together, but it's also caused difficulty in the church such that when we even quote Jesus himself, uh, there are people who think we're being political to say that we should do what Jesus did and what Jesus says to do. I could give many different examples of that. Let me just give one uh, that is, is kind of an obvious one. It happened a few years ago. on Stephen Colbert's show. If you don't uh, watch Stephen, Stephen uh, has a show that he started called The Colbert Report, in which he's uh, a faux uh, news reporter and and makes comedy of what's happening. And uh, if you're a a fan, you know that he's going to be stopping The Colbert Report. He's going to take over The Late Show in, uh, in just a few weeks. He said this in in the year 2011. If this is going to be a Christian nation that doesn't help the poor, either we have to pretend that Jesus was just as selfish as we are, or we've got to acknowledge that he commanded us to love the poor and serve the needy without condition, and then admit that we just don't want to do it. 
Now, Colbert is a devout Catholic, a practicing Christian. He teaches Sunday school. He brings the, the faith into his uh, comedy quite often. And we'll see from our text today that Jesus' first description of himself as the Messiah is that he would care for the poor, that he would be actively involved in caring for them in whatever way poverty has come upon them. And so the messianic hope that was established 700 years before Jesus came, 2,700 years uh, before our current situation and the world in which we live, God says that the Messiah, the Christ, is going to care about the poor, and we're going to preach good news to the poor, because that's a primary purpose of the church. Going to his own synagogue in Nazareth, which was his home church, Jesus grew up there. They all knew him as a little child in their uh, comparative Sunday school kind of experiences. They thought they knew his parents, and and he takes a scroll from Isaiah as he began to, to start his public ministry. And in his home church, you just imagine a child growing up amongst us, he gets up and he reads Isaiah to his uh, church family. And he says to us, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he said to his home church, today, and remember the words that he just read were written 700 years before Jesus is reading this in his home synagogue. And he says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, as you know, the people of his home church were not very happy about that. They got extremely upset with him, much as Christians are today if they think that a pastor or a church is reading Jesus through some partisan political eyes and trying to accomplish a political purpose rather than a spiritual purpose within the world. And they wanted to run him out of the church. So I would encourage us today to think about Jesus himself. What he says that has nothing to do with American politics. He said it 2,000 years ago. Isaiah said it 700 years before. This is a human spiritual condition that he came to heal. And he wants us who continue the ministry of the Messiah to do the same as we work within the world and within the, the cases of the world. So let's read it not with any defensiveness or any uh, modern eyes. Let's read it with the eternal eyes as God's children of what he says. The prophet Isaiah, as I said, is one of the primary persons that God uses to prepare us for the advent. There are many amazing statements that uh, Isaiah made and makes and that Jesus uh, fulfills in his uh, public ministry and in his birth and, and other things that occurred. So we're going to go back to the 8th century B.C. today, and we're going to read what God says the Messiah would do and what we then are to be doing as we're continuing the ministry of the Messiah. Chapter 61, we're going to start with the first verse. We're going to read a few verses and then skip down to the 8th verse. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to mourn all, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. And then down to verse 8. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as as the soil makes the sprout come up, and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the Sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. Now keep that open before you, and let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that you sent your only begotten Son, and Jesus, that you knew what it is you came to do, and that you taught us to continue that great mission. Be with each one of us. We all come at this from different places and different struggles, but your Holy Spirit works uniformly within each of our lives. So raise us to that person you call us and create us to be, and we will give you the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. A few years ago, I got one of those phone calls that we all get from some pollster trying to figure out uh, what's going to happen in the politics of our day. And they asked me a bunch of questions about all different kinds of issues. And as we got to the end, uh, this uh, young woman said, What are you? (laughs) And... Obviously, I didn't fit any of her categories. She didn't know how to report me uh, to the people that had hired her. And I simply said, I'm a Christian. Dead silence. That's not on her sheet. Setting aside all the divisions and these partisan kinds of arguments that so plague us as we're attempting to govern ourselves today, let's consider these ancient words. Let's allow them to be ones that come to us from God, lived out in the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, and say, okay, that's what life looks like. That's what we're to be. That's what the church represents. And let's allow ourselves to to stop and just be for a moment as Jesus came to have us become what he created us to be. It's interesting that these ancient words are said by Jesus that today they are fulfilled in your hearing. That today 
is the day in which we are to fulfill the words of the Messiah. Now let's consider what Christ's Mass, this worship of the Christ, the, this worship of the one who came, what Christmas is all about. We want to note, first of all, that Jesus is anointed. The Hebrew word there means to consecrate or to dedicate for the purpose of. So Jesus was dedicated to the purpose that he's about to describe for us so we understand why he came. Now, when you and I were baptized, we were dedicated for the purpose of. In fact, in the, in the Eastern Orthodox sacrament of baptism, they still anoint with oil along with the water because it's to be the anointing of the person. But whether we do it by water or oil or by both, the anointing, the baptism, is that we are God's people now set apart for the purpose of fulfilling his work in the world. And so, what is his work? What is it that we are to be about? Well, first, to proclaim good news to the poor. First and foremost, in our work for God, we care for those who are poor. Poor financially, poor emotionally, poor in spirit, depressed, overwhelmed, those for whom life is no longer good news. When they awaken, they are overwhelmed with life. Another way of saying it is, our focus as Christians is not up the ladder for those who can help us achieve our goals, but rather it's down towards those who are less fortunate than us and offering a helping hand to bring them to a place of survival, of thriving, of accomplishment. And that is, is, it's difficult to face both directions at the same time. And so the Messiah says, it's, we preach good news to the poor. We help them become capable of caring for themselves, of being provided for in their work, being able to live spiritually and emotionally and all the things that it takes to be able to make it in life. Our work is to bind up the brokenhearted, to help them hold it together as their heart bleeds into a, a deep abyss of sorrow and loss, to come alongside, to care for them. One of my favorite stories of the gift of presence, as we call it in counseling, where you offer your, your love and your tears and your hands is told of a little five-year-old whose five-year-old friend passed away. And the next day as he was coming home on the bus, he gets off at his little friend's house and he goes in to spend time with his little friend's mother. And his mother didn't know this and was real concerned and, and asked him, you know, what were you doing? And he said, well, I, I went to comfort the mother of my friend. And she said, well, how did you do that? How does a little five-year-old comfort? And he said, well, I crawled up into her lap and we cried together. When we enter into the, the pain of people's lives and we share it with them and they're not alone in it, we bind the brokenhearted. That heart can be broken through so many different things. And life has a, a great way of doing that. And so the mission 
of the Messiah, our mission, is to bind up the brokenhearted. It is Christ's work and therefore our work to bring freedom and release from those who are prisoners, captive of whatever or whoever is confining them. We, of course, have prison ministries, as our congregation does and most congregations do, where people go into the, the jails and they bring worship and prayer and, and the study of God's Word so that there can be hope in that dark place. But the primary work of the Church of Jesus Christ is to set people free from whatever prisons are holding them back, free particularly from addictions, Sin addiction and all the various ways that sin captivates a human soul. The prison of substance addiction, abuse addiction, pride addiction, prisons of depression, debt, self-absorption, self-sabotage. The very definition of a prison is that you can't get yourself out on your own. Someone needs to come and bring the higher power of God through Jesus Christ our Lord such that people are free and they are released and they can live a life that is free and following of God. And so that's a primary purpose of the life of the church. We as pastors spend a lot of time, our counseling centers spend a lot of time on helping people get free from that through the power of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. That's what's at work within us. It's our work to proclaim the justice of God when the world is unjust and vengeance is the heart's cry. It's ours to proclaim that this too is under God's care and that all things can work together for good whatever might have occurred in this momentary, temporary experience that we or someone else is having where injustice has overtaken we ask what God wants to do in the midst of that. We work to bring about justice. We work to bring about equality for all people in all circumstances and all justice systems. We're about, about the work of God as he empowers us and teaches us to do so. It is our work to comfort those who mourn, to provide for those who grieve, to bestow beauty where there's only ashes, joy and praise where there is sadness and despair to offer the hope of the Messiah, the Christ who came that we might have life. And last, the Messiah, the Christ, loves justice and hates robbery, hates wrongdoing. To be fair and honest and righteous and to grow in Christ is to be like the Messiah, in all the circumstances of our lives and in all the opportunities that we have to work together in honest integrity in our business and our personal and our corporate lives as we do the work of the Messiah. Now, I want to note something with you. It, it struck me strongly as I was studying this text this week. And it's actually obvious if you, if you stop and think about it. That these ancient words that Jesus said he's going to fulfill and we are to fulfill in our lives, these ancient words do not require money. They do not require education. 
They do not require you to have a position to be able to make a significant difference in whatever we're facing. It doesn't require anything that the world says to us. You have to have that first before you can change the world and help others. What it requires is love, caring, bringing God into the lives of people as we come into their lives, reaching out with His grace, His forgiveness, His empowerment, allowing Him to be at work within us so that we can be at work within others. And so that brings us to the observation that Stephen Colbert makes. To live a life that is focused on self and what the self can get, to have a selfish viewpoint and existence, instead of helping those who are in need, we misunderstand the very purpose of the church and the purpose of the Messiah's life and our lives, where we help people care more about others than about their self absorption and selfish lives, we're doing the work of God. And it does not require any kind of political action committee or any kind of financial uh, power or position. It requires that we allow God himself to come within us and to be present wherever we are and in whatever circumstances we find ourselves. It begins and continues in Christ as Christ works within us. So this Christmas, as Jesus comes to fulfill the prophecies of Isaiah, to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, may we proclaim that this new Christian year that has just begun is the year of God's favor, because we are going to be about the work of God. Let's spend time with the Messiah.